This is the Screaming Pods Network on ScreamingPods.com. We must search for what is truth. You doubt me. Seek proof. What is truth? And what is God? The first duty is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. Then here is the proof you seek. You don't really want an answer to that question. It's true how they say it feels like time slows. It felt like an hour had passed, but the nurse had just spoken the words. It was minutes, really. I looked to Michael, wondering whether we had both heard the same thing. Our baby was blue. She didn't have enough oxygen. She would be taken in for tests. The world spun. Your heart was broken. The words were spoken. The tears came tumbling down. And the blind gained sight as we Life, it seems, is a collection of stories that make us who we are. There are moments that turn our world upside down and seem to divert the path we are going down. For Lisa Gunger, the birth of her second daughter, Lucy, was a catalyst in her story that forced her and Michael out of their comfort zones yet again. Up until this point, the story of Lisa and Michael Gunger had already hit numerous peaks and valleys. Their boy-meets-girl romance turned into an amazing journey of love and a career making music and building a family together. Like most journeys, Lisa would grow and change throughout the years. First a dream job at a large church in Michigan, to throwing caution to the wind and building a church with Michael in Colorado. All of this while the musical career of Gunger started to catch on and build into a Grammy-nominated band. With their daughter Amelie in tow, Lisa and Michael planned to tour the world and Gunger would be a traveling musical family, a force to be reckoned with. It all seemed to hit at once the death of a friend, controversy in the Christian music world, unraveling of a specific worldview, a sudden uncertainty in their career, and the birth of a daughter with a heart defect and Down syndrome.
Lisa details these moments that led to a huge shift in her perspective about God in her book, The Most Beautiful Thing I've Seen. Lisa's personal journey isn't necessarily about losing faith, but a story of embracing doubt and shifting the perspective of these tough life moments to spark an unexpected and deeper understanding of faith. I'm Sean DeRegger, and welcome to The Armchair Philosopher. I wanted to show you, I have a cousin with Down syndrome. She's about 37 now. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And she's wonderful. I can email you a picture. Um, yes, I'd love to see that. My aunt and uncle are just fantastic. And just kind of talking with them about their story um, and just seeing them. It's its one of those things where I know that it's been a struggle in a, in a sense. But I also know that it's like one of the most amazing things. She is so full of joy. But um. Oh, here. I got it. I got okay, it. Okay, cool. So she's, you know, bottom Oh, line, Yes. She's fantastic. She's she, she does awesome. like cooking classes. She's involved in the in their area. They're in North Carolina, and she does um, she does like little work sessions. She'll go to work and and everything, and and she's nice. just she's great. So yeah, so I've oh, known her since so I was a, you know since I was a kid. So it's just that's awesome. At this wedding, she was just dancing so much. <laughs> she would run <laughs> in like, I need water, and you give her water. She'd head her on the back out to the <laughs> dance floor and just shake her thing. It was awesome. So. That's so. Awesome. Yeah, Lucy's yeah. for for our daughter her favorite. I think her favorite thing in life is dance parties. Today on the Armchair Philosopher, I have the privilege and honor to speak to Lisa Gunger about her book and I'm sure many more things. So Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Ah, thank you. Thanks for having me. You guys are, I mean, your, your story is, is so great um, and relatable in so many ways. And I've found you guys, um, it's weird, like my connection with the Gunger family. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> in the past six years since I kind of, uh, kind of stopped going to church, stopped kind of, kind of started uh, unraveling, deconstructing, all that kind of stuff, my kind of foundation um, my Christian foundation. Um, I I think when I first you landed back on my radar. So okay, I'm gonna do a, a long way around here too, Mike. It's <laughs> it's like it's like the six degrees of Gunger basically with, <laughs> with you guys. So I moved. I was I told Michael this uh, when we spoke. I moved to uh, to to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to work uh, do an internship building a recording studio, and I had a friend named Jason Jackson. He was a uh, youth pastor at, uh, Jackson. at Believer's Church. Yep. And uh, so I knew him. And then I had some friends in a band called Fillmore, uh, the Griman brothers and Brett Shoneman. They were all going to that church. I think, yep. no, they were going to another church, but there, there's all these connections. Okay. So Michael was my worship leader for a, for a, for a spell. And uh, wow. so, yeah, we never ran into each other and, inter- and got introduced. Uh, but I always ran into Rob and David at Nordagio's. <laughs> wow, Nordagio's! Yes. That was our first. Um, well, that's where that's where I the first time I saw Michael. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. The first time I saw him was a year a year before I went to school there. But then 
when mm-hmm. I talk in the book, I talk, I, there's like a moment where I talk about like getting hot chocolate and he's sitting in the corner reading a book I and mean, it was at Nordagio's. Yep. Nordagio's was the spot. It was, Made it was a, hot. Made a mean, a mean chai latte. Oh Some yeah. Good, and uh, the, the big train. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, Nardagios. Oh, that's great. So, so I had this kind of connection. I kind of stayed connected with, the, with your music um, as I started learning. Oh, he, um, you know, Michael did a worship album, and I kind of I sent my mom the worship album because so I was like, you need to listen to this worship. It's fantastic. And uh, my my wrist is ringing. Someone's trying to call me. Um, oh. Good lord, leave me alone, everybody. <laughs> uh, so. So I, I sent another worship album and then I kind of stayed in contact with, you know, just uh, followed you guys along. And I had a friend named Wendy um, who knew you guys when you were in was, uh, Michigan at the church oh. there in Michigan. Uh, she, uh, Wendy Nicole, she sang and played guitar. Yeah. Um, oh my and, gosh. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, what? <laughs> all these weird connections. And I never met you guys. So it's just it's just funny. So it's, it's always like six degrees of gunger That's basically crazy. going on. <laughs> <laughs> and now but, here uh, we are. That's and really here we crazy. Are. That's a lot. Windy. Yeah. And, wow. Yeah, she's fantastic. Her voice is amazing. I need to mm-hmm. I need to talk to her and, and tell everybody and show people her music. It's great. Um, she just released an album, by the way. A little plug oh, for wow. for Wendy's album. Um, so so your guys' music, um, it's funny because I was telling Michael this and I, I went through a spell where I was like, I'm done with all anything worship oriented. I'm done. And that means, mm-hmm. hey, Gunger's music is good. But you know what? They're singing about God. And I was like, I just can't have that. And mm-hmm. uh, so I kind of put it on the shelf uh, as far as that goes, just because it was like triggering to all this kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, this background that I'd had. And then and then, uh, of course, Michael drops the bomb about uh you know, I don't know if it was a blog post or something and him and I spoke about this and he I guess he dropped the bomb on you, too, where he said he didn't believe in God anymore. Yeah. And uh, I dropped the same kind of bomb on my wife. And I was like, I feel really bad for the wives in this scenario mm-hmm. because you, know, <laughs> you didn't sign up for this. So I wanted to get your perspective on that <laughs> moment. And then I want to kind of dive in, into your book because because um, that's kind of when I reconnected with you guys Um and started listening to music again, found the Liturgist podcast. And it's been this huge healing journey for me. And you guys have been involved in it in this way through your story. So what uh, so if you can describe a little bit what you're thinking when when Mike when Michael dropped that on you, because I want to kind of get your your side of the story there. You know, we've spoken with a lot of other couples who um, like one of one or the other has no idea Mm -hmm. like so whoever has become the atheist the the other one doesn't know and and it's been pretty 50 50 on like who has who has dropped that bomb if it's a the Mm. the husband or the wife um so first and for most for most of them what the stories that i've heard is that they had no idea that the, the other one was struggling so much uh so i i feel like I don't know if lucky is the right word to say, um, but I, Michael and I were continuously um, having conversations about our faith and our doubt. So we were always really, really open, you know. We weren't hiding things. Um, we weren't hiding what we were questioning um, because 
Because we worked, I think a lot, I think that's largely in part because of, of us working together. So I think we had that on our side where other couples, you know, one is in the church, the other has a different job. So we're traveling with each other and up late night in the bus talking with the other band people. Um, so I, I think that's why we were always, that conversation was always open with us. Because, um, yeah, we worked together. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah. So, I mean, I remember times shocking Michael with things that I believed or didn't believe. And, you know, he, like at one point I was like, I, I just don't believe in the Old Testament anymore. Or, and then it was like, I just can't read the Bible anymore. And mm-hmm. he's like, you might not want to tell anyone that, you know. <laughs> and so, and then he drops the, I don't believe in God bomb. I was like, well, that, and then, and then like goes, you know, public with it. <laughs> And I was like, that's a, that's a real difference than what I said. But I, um, so I think now it's like, it's easy to joke about it and, and, mm-hmm. and it can, it's nice to laugh about it now at the time it was just yeah. so terrifying. I, I, then it was not funny at all. So even though I had a lot of doubt and I had my own things that I was wrestling with, we were still I still believed in God and that was like the mm-hmm. thing that you didn't it wasn't even a question in my mind that we would go there. I mean I mm-hmm. I um I had times wanting to not believe in God because I the, the problem of pain and there's so much suffering in the world I it was hard to believe that there was a good God that was mm-hmm. the all loving God um, concern for his children because why, why do why does all this suffering and pain exist if God is good? So there were days that it felt like it would be a lot easier to not believe in God, um, but I just couldn't. For for me, I couldn't not believe. For uh, I think you know, Science Mike has he goes he talks about this um, study that they did where they you know cut the this part of the brain that connects the two sides of the brain and with people who have I'm sure you've heard him talk about mm-hmm. that yeah uh, you have this split brain thing on one side of your brain can believe something and the other one side of your brain believes something completely different and that made so much sense to me when he explained that to us uh a lot of relief actually yeah because like you yeah. said you, you feel like you're going crazy and at the time we didn't have a word for it either we didn't know yeah the word deconstruction and I felt like I was just going crazy and that we were yeah falling into the pit of darkness (laughs) so (laughs) so um when he told me that I he felt a lot of freedom and I was terrified I feel like I've talked about a lot uh, about this a lot on on this podcast in particular but I feel like it's important now because I think I feel like a lot more people are kind of feeling empowered to be open about their doubts and and everything. And, and I had, you know, I had so many friends who had gone through divorce. Um, and I had read so many things about, you know, one person changing, one person not believing. And then that ripped apart their marriage. And I was like, I do not want that to happen. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, and the one thing that because when my wife and I had this kind of knockdown, drag out argument about me not believing that uh, Jesus rising from the grave was literal, <laughs> some more of a metaphorical mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. thing, and it, this is around Easter, and and um, 
you know, it, that really could have ended our marriage like right there. But yeah. um, when her and I talk later, she says, you know, well, I love you. So why w- that doesn't that didn't change. So just because yeah. your beliefs are changing, why would I not love you? You know, and uh, so I, I feel like more people need to hear that. And you guys and you and, and Michael have been pretty open about that um, p- part of your marriage. And, and it's been and it's, it's been great. I feel like it's been empowering a, a lot of people and uh, mm. moving forward. So um, it, it's just interesting that this conversation is happening more and more. Oh, yeah, because it wasn't allowed. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how many years ago it wasn't. Uh, I mean, I I didn't tell my best friend that he told me that. I didn't tell anyone in my family. I, I didn't mm-hmm. tell anyone because I was so terrified of what would happen. And, and, and it's almost like if you tell someone, then it becomes more real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I felt like if we, we could just like work it out behind the scenes. And I also didn't want them to dislike Michael. So for me, I mm. have this very close, you know, uh, in-depth relationship with him. And like, like your wife said, I looked at Michael and was like, oh, but I really, I really love you. That hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. And is my love for you based on your belief system? If so, that's kind of fucked up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, I, I think I, I've learned a lot about love in mm-hmm. the past, you know, when he went through all, when we both went through that, um, what love really looks like. And, um, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about what the, even our, our, the scripts that we are taught to play. I want, I thought I wanted a guy who was vulnerable to us, but then I realized I only wanted him to be vulnerable to a certain degree, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I realized I wanted the guy that everybody liked and, I, I, the big worship leader guy that we're traveling the world together. I wanted him to be kind of, I, I didn't want him to have his doubts. I wanted, I wanted mm-hmm. him to, but I wanted him to get over them and, and have right. that story. It's like, now my faith is so much stronger, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, that my wife turns to me, she goes, when are you going to be done with this? Yeah. It's you know? like, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know. This is a, this is the journey. <laughs> yeah. It's the journey. And it's so hard if you don't, if you haven't been through it, it's really, I feel like it's pretty impossible to understand. Yeah. So, so I, I am really thankful that I felt that anguish as well. Like that split brain thing, the doubt and, mm-hmm. and, and belief and, um, because I knew to a certain extent what he was going through and then really felt it myself. So like after mm-hmm. Michael, I think, I think I didn't even know at that point that I was even still buying into like, well, he's the leader of my spiritual journey. Mm. And if he doesn't believe, what does that mean for me? Um, so right. I would, even at that point, I would probably want to have said like, yeah, I'm a, feminist or I'm a womanist and I I can lead myself even when uh, it's I'm I'm a strong stable woman you know <laughs> and, and I found myself really following and um, leaving it up to him uh, my practices all fell apart and I think it was necessary for 
both of us to go through this struggle. Um, and I think it was really necessary for me to learn how to stand on my own and mm -hmm. with someone that you love so dearly and hold the space for, for that and also make the decisions of what I, where I felt like my heart was leading me. Um, Cause yeah, it's scary. You feel like if you are not on the same page, then it's not going to last. Unequally um, yoked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've been there's no that, space you know. for that. Yeah. yeah. Your book, I want to transition to your book here because it is so good. Oh, thank um, you. I started reading it and then I got the audio version and listened to it and kind of where it, depending where I was, I had both of these available and I read it within a weekend and I laughed, I cried. I mean, within the, <laughs> the introduction, uh, <laughs> you had me weeping oh. in the prologue already because you started <laughs> off with dear mother and, and, um, you kind of bookend it with kind of a letter to your to your mother mm -hmm. and um my my parents and I of course they don't understand where I'm coming from they're like we did all this foundation we laid all this foundation out yeah. why aren't you on the same page yeah, why yeah yeah uh and you know they listen they listen to this podcast and I appreciate that they do but I feel like they get worried every time they <laughs> I feel like they do it like begrudgingly, <laughs> like, yeah. oh no, what's Sean going to say today, you know? And oh, yeah. so it, that really hit a spot in, in my soul because I have this like, and it's not like we get along great uh, when we're not talking about religion or uh, mm. faith or anything like that, because um, I just have a different perspective. And so did you always have in mind to start this off as a letter to to you, to your mother or mm -hmm. what was the what, what brought that along because it was just so powerful oh thank you I you know I, I think with art like the process you go through with mm -hmm. art is you're discovering what it needs to be uh you have heard many artists talk about this as you you dive into it and it's kind of like just dis discovering a child you know you're you're doing the work, you're spending the time, you're playing with it and you are um, being creative. And then it kind of all just comes into focus about what what this is. And when I first started writing this book, I really thought it was gonna be a book about, I mean, honestly, like me jumping on some kind of soapbox for my <laughs> daughter, Lucy, like for, I need every, you know, I need everyone to see her and, mm -hmm how valuable her life is. And that led me to question myself and how I see myself, which may seem really obvious <laughs> to, to other people, but for me, especially in Enneagram 2, uh, we <laughs> don't like to think of ourselves very, very much. It's love is always outward towards everyone else and championing and helping other people. And that's beautiful and wonderful uh, when it's really healthy. But I think I had neglected and ignored a lot of the parts of myself that I didn't accept or that I was ashamed of or disappointed in. And then that led to this whole different um, experience and understanding uh, 
a, a new journey of experience and understanding of myself and and my mom. Um, yeah, I talk about in the book, I had this dream that was incredibly uh, profound and jarring and beautiful and um, I was weeping at some points uh, and then just uh, overcome with a new understanding for my mom and and really everyone that like comes to this understanding of how we all have these stories that shape us and we all come to these conclusions that we think we're so smart because our journey has led us to this more enlightened place, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And that's the journey I've had is a total product of my circumstances. And I'm here because of my mom and mm-hmm. and because of everything else, yes. But I, this, I, I felt like I was trying to push that part of my life aside. Like, oh, this is the past life that I had. And well, wasn't that kind of silly that I was raised in like this church, raising my hands and dancing through the aisles. Ah, ha, 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 you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, look at this crazy past I've had. And then, I mean, it's kind of funny. I... I, I go to this thing called Five Rhythms that's like this super crazy dance thing. And it reminds me of the church that I grew up in, you know? So it's weird what what has like shown back up in my life mm-hmm. um, that I totally wrote off as as stupid or ignorant. And I'm not saying everything in my past was... Oh yeah, we all have we all have craziness. We all have places we feel like we were lied to and we we're programmed, right? We were all programmed mm-hmm. to believe this very small um story. And this very specific story. And so when we've start poking the holes and we realize it's not all true, then for some people they feel enlightened like free and it expands them and then some of the people fall apart. So I was yeah, the one who totally fell apart and just thought everything in my past was kind of garbage. Um, but as I've continued on and, and not stopped in this process, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've continually chosen, which has been really hard. I've, I, well, I guess I should say uh, there were many times I was completely closed off and then other times I felt this urge to just keep opening my heart and I've I've seen things from my past show up again mm-hmm. and I'm inc- I'm incredibly grateful for it even if those things didn't show up again I have this new love and acceptance and understanding for all of those things and people who don't think like I do people who are you know <laughs> You talk about spiral dynamics, people in different V-means, people who are in the different colors. Um, we, I think it's just, it's it's so easy to look back at where we've come from and, and think mm-hmm. that we are so smart, right? Yeah. And, and that everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about. But I, I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. And I'm so, right. I'm so grateful for where I've been and where I am. And I'm, and that doesn't mean that, things are easy. It really doesn't. It doesn't mean that even my relationship with my mom is easy. It's probably the hardest it's ever been. 
Um, but I'm grateful that I don't have the angst within my own heart that I used to. Oh man, that's so, so important because I feel like this is the first year that I let a lot of that go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. this year, like my wife is like, you've been laughing and smiling a lot more lately. What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. Oh. I kind of <laughs> let a lot of that cynical side of myself go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I'm, I've st- we started going to a UCC church now and it's like been like this weird, amazing healing thing in mm-hmm. our lives. And it was like, I can't believe we're going to church again. And she's like, yeah. it's not crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah. But I but I feel a lot of this is important in, in, in you, your journey specifically, because um, and I think the reason why the the thing about your your mother hit me was because, you know, I'm a parent and then you, you know, you, you're a parent and we all have these dreams for our kids. And my parents had a dream for me. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, when so you, you describe in the book, you know, your your dream for for Amelie and having a sister and your your kind of dreams of this perfect family that you you know that that you would have and you you, the um and we all have that for our kids and then when when you describe I mean the way you describe Lucy being born it's just like when I walked in to the house today my wife was listening to that specific part and it's such a powerful um heartbreaking part of the book but um but in, in in a sense of like oh wow this there's this whole new thing we need to address and um in a smaller in a smaller way my, my wife and i felt that way when we when our son when we found out that he had hemophilia i was like oh wow mm, yeah. okay so uh-huh. we have some things to learn you know and that was um yeah you know and and his uh, i'm not a sports person at all but um you know my father-in-law was like you know wants the boys to play football and that uh-huh. you know that kind of the conversation changes you know um so I think like having the perspective of a parent and then a parent who's gone through this type of, I guess, challenge, you can say, yeah. or sh- having your kind of foundation of what you think is going to happen shaken up, mm-hmm. uh, it does a lot yeah, to somebody. And um, how, so, but in a way, like you've described the dance parties now and everything with Lucy, it, it seems like, you know, after these years have passed, um, the, some of these dreams are coming true. Can you describe like kind of that, that journey in a way? So for anyone who, who doesn't know, I soon after our youngest was born, um, she started turning blue and they had to take her to do a lot of tests. And we found out that she had down syndrome. So, and then soon after that, we found out she had two different heart defects. One was very rare, which we were like, awesome <laughs> cool <laughs> second super rare heart defect and the, the the other one is very common for children with down syndrome it's uh 40 of kids who have down syndrome will have some heart defect and then uh 40 of those kids will have what lucy had so um we right off the bat weren't sure if lucy was gonna live and her feet were even if she did, I mean, she was on all kinds of medicine. Then she got a bad infection, and then her feet were folded up. So um, the doctors were saying that was fine, but of course, Michael and I are freaking out, thinking, mm. "Oh my gosh, is she ever going to walk?" And just everything that we thought compo- comprised a good life was challenged for us. 
uh, we often say it's like the world flipped upside down and but we were the ones that were like the newborn baby like mm. screaming and yelling like no we don't want it to be this way <laughs> we don't we don't want to learn to live in this new world uh, where our daughter exists and then you slowly realize that we are the we are the ones that need to change, not Lucy. We, this world and us is the thing that needs to make room for this beautiful human being to thrive. Mm -hmm. Like she's made beautiful and perfect from the start. Obviously, uh, she has heart issues that need to be fixed and health, higher health risks than other children. But like, what what does a good life mean, right? Mm -hmm. So even for you, like um, you dive into all of the what ifs and it's so scary. It's so scary. I would rather it all, like you realize <laughs> when people say, I would rather that have been me. I would rather all of that be me. I would rather mm -hmm. have had the heart surgeries, everything, than your child It just, oh, it breaks you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it, it breaks you. So, um, so we began discovering very quickly how blind we had been and all the bias that we had. Um, and I think, you know, it was really, I was really scared. I was scared all the time. I don't think I realized how scared I was until like many years later. Um, Cause I was scared that she just wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night. And I was scared that she would, have this day in her life where she's rejected, you know, by, by mean kids. Like I was just, I was scared of so many things. Um, but I think I started really seeing even more so the places where I was wrong, where I, when we went to therapies with Lucy, so she had physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy, a lot of therapies for a baby. <laughs> so they, yeah. That's a lot. Uh, they start so young because it's all the foundation groundwork, you know. Um, so I'd go to these appointments and realize how I was kind of holding my breath looking to these therapists going, like just hoping that they would say, Lucy's doing better than the other kids with Down syndrome. And that's like... I that's an awful thing to admit to the public, but that's how I felt. <laughs> um, and I, well, yeah, I, I get that. We, we, we look at my son's hemophilia and, and we're like, well, it's not as bad as his other kids. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. You're like, you all know? right. <laughs> you know, it's just not. And I'm like, Oh yeah. That's probably oh, not I know. <laughs> and then it's like, you're then inside you're like, Oh God, I feel awful. <laughs> and then all these other kids. Oh, I mean, it's just can be a real shit show. So, <laughs> So it's, uh, so I'm going to these therapies and then I'm getting my heart broken many times over and feeling like a terrible parent because I'm not doing enough things and I'm not uh, practicing enough with her. And I'm like, but she's a baby. Like, don't we just need to play and lay on the floor and, <laughs> you know, do all like the things that the other kids do? Um, so at first it was quite, uh, oh, I, I would just run circles in my mind. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly just un unraveled where I was okay with whatever they said because I wasn't 
comparing Lucy to everyone else. And my idea of what a good life meant completely flipped. Because I mean, it had to be this, someone could tell you that, like, doesn't it, the value of a life doesn't depend on our productivity or how well we verbally communicate. Someone could tell you that, but until you experience it, it's such a different thing. And so that was happening in me. I could see Lucy looking at me or touching my hand. And though she couldn't talk yet, like all of the other kids, and I just wanted her to talk, there was this nonverbal communication that is amazing. It's amazing. And we put so much weight on our abilities and how smart our kids are and how much they can talk. And, oh, my kid has, knows all these vocabulary words and they can run so fast and they can, they know their algebra and they know they're so ahead of their class. Like that's what we all want for our kids. Right. And, and I don't, I don't want that anymore. I don't, Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, not the healthiest way for all of us to live our lives and it's not healthy for those kids even and there's so much expectation on that those kids but meaning um the kids who are quote unquote ahead you know Mm -hmm. i just don't see it that way anymore like what is what is that what does all that even mean um we've come up with this system we did and that was it's it's been a pretty profound journey of realization for mm-hmm. us uh to realize we've had it wrong this whole time what right. the value of a life is it's amazing you describe in your book when Amelie first meets Lucy and, and that's where you get the title of the book you know the most beautiful thing i've seen where mm-hmm. to Amelie it you know is this beautiful baby and it's like if only we can have those eyes of a child sometimes you know cuz it's mm-hmm. like I, I, I view this world so much through my children now. And, you know, when a lot of a lot of people talk to me about, you know, how do you still even, you know, you've doubted all this stuff. How do you still even believe that there could be a God or there is a God? How do you believe in something bigger than you? And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I could have done it without my kids sight, you know, in a way. Hmm, yeah. You know? Is that something that you've experienced as well? Because for me, it's just hugely profound. Oh yeah. I mean, I think our kids see things that we, that we can't and that, and we, I believe we saw that way as children, you know, and then we're Mm -hmm. programmed how to do things. (laughs) And so kids come along and they just break that programming. They just don't have it. And so I, I know I'm programming my kids. (laughs) We're like, try not to right? but there's the programming is happening. It's happening. Uh, But like I'm trying not to limit that in them. This like, what do you Mm -hmm. see? Tell me what you see. Let me learn from you. And I've, I mean, my, uh, it's hard to speak about God, right? Like I want to say like ideas about God or my understanding about God, like naming things like that feels, it's so small. Um, But it's all been blown open by my girls. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, but actually, the name of the book didn't come from that. It came okay. from, yeah. But, but, well, but here's the thing. And I, uh, and I give pause to even like wanting to say that because, <laughs> because it is like it's the whole thing. Re- the reality is right. it's, the, it's the whole right. thing of it. But the real, uh, so what I should say is the realization of like, 
what I want to name this book mm-hmm. came when I had the dream about my mom. Okay. And the connection between me and her and my girls and then everything else. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I thought the book was only about our story and our little family and look at this hard time we've been through, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> let me tell you about my life. And then it became, oh, but this is connected. This is everyone's story. Everyone feels like they don't belong. And everyone has this deep thing. I mean, most people, maybe not everyone, but it seems like most adults I talk to at some point in their life or another, there's this feeling that there's something wrong with them and something that needs to be fixed, especially people who've come from the, the evangelical church because we we're taught we were born into sin and there's the seed of sin in our heart and the flesh is bad and our body is something we have to transcend. So that's a hard, that's hard programming to break mm-hmm. <laughs> when you have a lifetime of that and a lifetime of prayers going, God, forgive me, God, forgive me, search my heart, find the sin. There's got to be, I mean, I remember times as a, as a kid even going, there's got to be some sin in me. Where is it? Search me, God. <laughs> and there's so much like angst. I like, I just look back and go, oh, poor, all these poor kids, you know, oh, we just told them that they were bad from their start. And that's what happened with Lucy. And I didn't see it until mm. she was born. Like from the moment she came into the world, everyone's hushing oh she's not supposed to be this way oh Mm. my god this isn't what we wanted oh there's no this is going to be such a hard life are you sure you you shouldn't send her off somewhere you know Mm. um oh that's oh but i see that she's beautiful and really perfect and awesome and she's yeah has these awesome dance parties and oh like i feel like i was given this gift like she's such a gift um, mm-hmm. to see it all differently. So it's not the thing that we did. Like I don't see it as the thing that we, like this work that we did. It was <laughs> like a a gift that was given to us so that we could right. see things differently. Oh, right. it's so wonderful. You guys are are so busy, it, it seems, with trying to keep the music, you know, the music going, the music inspired. Um and by the way, the uh, the trilogy uh, One Wild Life is fantastic. I need oh, to thank you. Let you know that personally, I love it so much. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, and then I guess you guys you guys did put it up on iTunes as one one big thing, and some of the mm-hmm. more esoteric mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess songs are kind of <laughs> saving for other things, which I'm very much looking forward to hearing hearing that. How? Because um, you had these ideas of like, well, you know, we'll we'll tour because you toured so much with with Amelie and. and how has this affected your affected your creativity as far as the the music goes? Are you um, channeling this in, in, into the creativity as far as music goes, or mm-hmm. um, are you putting creativity in other, in other channels? What what's the what's your kind of creative world like now in the past? I mean, Lucy is yeah. how old is she now? She's uh, she's four. The timeline. She's four. Yeah. Yeah. So in the past yeah. four years, how has that kind of you know, affected that in, in not a negative way, but how has, how has that changed? Yeah. Well, I mean, 
the practicalities of like doing stuff with two kids is a lot no, harder. I have <laughs> so, three and it's impossible. It's yeah, ridiculous. so we, we did a tour with both girls and I almost lost my mind. I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like we were in this one, oh, this one venue and the, the green room was just, I mean, there were penises drawn and balls all over the walls and then like, sexual things happening everywhere that like you know cartoon drawings everywhere (laughs) right and like the sofa was ripped apart like someone had like cut apart all the sofas it smelled terrible and and we have a picture we actually took a picture of it Amelie is like holding her little bear and looking at us like what (laughs) what are you doing to me and I was holding Lucy and I actually just I kind of walked outside and just started crying like what, what? What am I doing to my children? You know, we're trying to make a a living with music, but maybe this isn't this isn't we're going about it the wrong way. You know, so so um, music has changed so much, and it's it's definitely hard for so many artists. One thing I do appreciate mm-hmm. is that you don't have to tour as much. I mean, it used to be we you just had to be on tour all the time, and now I know so many bands that are that have syncs and are, you know, licensing with mm-hmm. movies and TV that's keeping them going really well. They, and they've never, they never play shows. Uh, so while we love, I love playing shows. I love live music so much. The live thing is just, yeah. Oh, there's, there's nothing like it really. But I, I, I feel like we've found a good rhythm so yeah, while even though we're not traveling as much, we do some shows here and there, but we can have a great home life with our girls. And we love, I don't know, I think as we're getting older, we're also becoming more home homebodies. Like we just like being <laughs> home. We like cre- creating at home. I like the thing of like, oh, we're just going to lay on the floor and play with the kids and have s'mores in the backyard. And um, I, I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to figure out a way that it can work in the future to to travel with the girls. It's just, um, yeah, it's just it has to make sense if we do more tours. So we mm-hmm. we're we're playing around with some ideas and what will work. But we've been, um, yeah, we're writing. We're actually recording a song later today that I love so yes. much. I'll. The name of it, I'll go ahead and like say, like nobody really, nobody knows about it, but the name of it might be hiding, but I, it came from, it's like me, it came from a moment of me sitting at the piano kind of speaking to myself and also other um, women and also specifically women of color. So the, mm. this idea of that the, the female spirit has been, you know, kind of squashed and how how women can i've just i do this uh retreat now with a friend of mine named hillary hillary mcbride oh, yeah. and um she's fantastic too she, oh, oh man she's a swell old gal <laughs> that like gal. if i meet you you're gonna make me cry at some point you're gonna like find something deep in my soul and you're gonna bring it out in the yes. open and i'm just gonna weep yeah oh yeah <laughs> it seems like that kind that's of person her that's her <laughs> all the way she's so good oh so even through through these women's retreats that we have, 
it's been so amazing to hear women's stories and to mm. join together with them in our restoration. I know that's mm -hmm. a real churchy word, but it's such a true thing that I see happening. Um, so this song comes out of that. It's called like, mm. the awesome. The chorus is like come out from hiding, and it's oh so beautiful. So we're recording that today, um, and we Michael's working on a book. Um, I'm working on an album and I, I just, we're very, it feels like we're, there's a lot of like irons in the fire, like a lot mm -hmm. of different things we have going on, but we are very, uh, aware of living a balanced life and not just mm -hmm. work, 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 where we really used to do that a lot. Just work, get the album done, get the song done, hurry, 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 hurry. And it feels like we're living at a slower, healthier pace these days. And that's one thing that I've learned in my own life um, with everything. It's like that's so important and so many people miss that. Um, you know, just trying to get the bills paid, trying to get the mortgage paid, all that stuff. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's easy to get lost in that. And I've had oh. to take a step back this year, especially because my daughter's 13 now. Okay. My son's 11. And then I got a six-year-old. It's like, man, these kids are just growing up way too fast and here I am trying to put in some overtime put in this you know do this do that and mm -hmm. uh missing out on these kids you know when my daughter walks in the room sometimes I'm like who are you like, you're this <laughs> little woman like what is going on here oh Where'd... it's so fast it's so fast <laughs> and then we become those cliches like we heard they said it they told us it's fast and then it's yeah it's so fast and it's hard, especially if you live in a place like what well, you're Southern, Southern California, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah, it's it, like you it's crazy out here. It's expensive to live in Los <laughs> Angeles. So there are the times you have to bust your ass. Like there's, there yeah. is that aspect you have to, yep. and it is definitely a privilege to be able to slow down and mm -hmm. spend more time with our kids. But, but what I realized is I will cut other things out and I'll live in a shack <laughs> to to slow down and spend time with my family and mm -hmm. and spent spending time with them and even in the creative process like letting that be a really beautiful experience and it, and it always has been mm -hmm. I think but even more so now just sitting with the things that we're creating and like we said before like discovering what it what it wants to become <laughs> Lisa thank you so much for talking with me about so many things. Um, but uh, your, your book, The Most Beautiful Thing I've Seen, I would recommend everyone get the audio book because you read it yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I always like finding a book if the author is reading it. But your voice specifically with this book, you can kind of uh, really uh, just kind of get in your in your head a little bit. You know what I mean? There's just more to the story hearing you read it mm -hmm. so uh i just wanted to thank you that for that i mean there's so much i i specifically didn't just i'm like not, not going to pull certain things out of this book because i want people to to read it and to experience it and uh mm -hmm. and like i said i read this within a weekend and i just had the best time reading this oh, and, thank you uh very just just a wonderful perspective uh from you and and on just your life and and like i said i like that you opened it up to think more things than just you guys and your story and uh it, it made it resonate i think with me personally even more so mm. uh so everyone got that the link, the link will be in the show notes everybody all right 
Show notes. Um, <laughs> show notes. I'm like, don't, I don't know. I don't know if anybody ever goes to those, but the links are there. <laughs> good, good, good. So Lisa Gunger, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you. So here, say hello real quick. Say hello. Say oh hello. Oh my god! <laughs> Hi. So I, I told Hi. her, I, I told her the story of when <laughs> I told you the that Jesus was more metaphorical, <laughs> the resurrection. Yeah. And her okay, and Michael huh? had a similar story where he told her that uh, he didn't believe in God anymore. So I was like, you two need to connect real quick. <laughs> Wives of crazy husbands who burn everything to the ground. <laughs> we went through a lot, and I, I think that. But that's made us so much stronger, you know, and has made us, um, made me kind of let go and allow God to bring him back to me and, you know, allow him to find his true story, you know? So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it could be, yeah, I get it. It can be such a hard thing. Sure. It's not, it's not fun when you're in the middle of it, but it's... Right. Right. It's, well, and I was like, do you nice love me? to laugh oh. about it eventually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, do you, do you love me? And he's like, yes. I'm like, do you love the kids? And he said, yes. I go, okay. Well, then yeah. that's it. Then that's it. Mm. I don't, you know, I'm not starting over with another guy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that's too much work. I would like to thank Lisa Gunger for being my guest on this episode of The Armchair Philosopher. Lisa's book, The Most Beautiful Thing I've Seen, is available everywhere books are sold. Also, Gunger's album, One Wild Life, is available on iTunes and Spotify. But as I said on Michael's episode, I prefer the trilogy version consisting of soul, spirit, and body. You can grab those versions over at gungermusic.com. We will be back in October with some shows exploring the spookier side of things, beginning with my conversation with a magister of the Church of Satan. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to bringing you all that conversation. Please follow me on Twitter at TheAXPX. And if you dig the show, please feel free to become a patron saint for $1 a month. I do a weekly diary called The AXPX Diaries. So you'll receive that bonus material and you'll have an opportunity to discuss each of these episodes in a safe environment. You will find a link to the Patreon page in the show notes. Otherwise, just go to patreon.com slash the AXPX to learn more. Find all of our social media links and all back episodes over at the AXPX.com. Music on this episode by the Candle Park Stars and Gunger all used by permission. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to all of you next time. Bye-bye.